Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 63, which is headlined by a featherweight matchup between Calvin Cater looking to bounce back from a controversial decision loss to Josh Emmett. He's going up against Arnold Allen, who's coming off a destruction of Dan Hooker a couple months back. Very intriguing fight between two top featherweights here, and this could definitely vault one of them into a contender title shot um, should they come out with their hand raised in this matchup. So very much looking forward to that. A couple other interesting fights sprinkled out throughout the card, but I'm looking forward to breaking down every single one of them for you guys. We did have some last-minute changes we did have some last minute fill-ins so right now i believe we're up to about 10 fights uh i could be wrong it might be 11 but there was a certain point where there was only nine fights slated for this card but luckily for us uh, a couple guys have stepped in and uh made this a fuller card than it should uh or than it would have been a couple days ago but before we get into the breakdowns here, let's just quickly go over the betting recap of UFC 280, which was the last UFC event. Uh, it was my birthday. Shout out to everybody that tuned in for the live watch party. Watch me get sloshed all day. In total, I drank for about... 14 hours maybe 16 hours which is the longest and most i've ever drank since maybe my college days uh so i was very much sloshed by the time that event wrapped up and then obviously continued drinking throughout the day appreciate everybody that checked it out but in terms of the betting breakdown slight losing event here for us and it puts a halt to that three event winning streak that we were on uh i believe i'm now falling to 10 and 2 over my last 12 events but let's just quickly get through uh why uh, we lost this last event. So let's start off with all the L's, right? Let's start off with that. So starting off the bottom here for my betmma.tips page, uh, minus 1.06 units on the under one and a half in the Mohamed Mokayev and Malcolm Gordon fight. Not the way people expected it to go, myself included. There were even spurts where Malcolm Gordon was having some success of his own. Uh, I gotta say, Mokayev definitely did not look minus 1100 that night. But luckily for him, he was able to save a couple tickets for some people. As I know a lot of people, instead of taking that minus 1100, took him inside the distance around that minus 220 range. And he was able to pull off the submission victory with about 30 seconds left on the clock. So shout out to Mokayev. But unfortunately, we have to rip up our under one and a half tickets speaking of other violence bets that did not come through for your boy we got to get to that armin petrosian aj dobson fight now i was a little bit uh underestimating the uh, striking defense of aj dobson who did a very good job in terms of getting out of the way of the big shots of petrosian he ended up uh, making it to the 15 minute mark but he just could not keep up with the power uh and and the volume that petrosian is actually putting on him there obviously petrosian wins that fight via decision we end up having to rip up a two unit ticket there another violent spot that did not come through for your boy was also the Benio Dariush and Matthaus Gamrot fight a little bit surprised at how often Gamrot was looking to throw uh, or sorry go for takedowns especially considering how easily Dan- uh, Benio Dariush was shucking those takedown attempts off uh, I was fully expecting Gamrot to try to throw some more leather on the feet but he was so intent on getting this fight to the ground that I knew right after that first round that more than likely this fight was likely headed to the scorecards 
in terms of money line losses, Dog of the Night Play does not come through for Vulcan Uzdemir. I had one unit at plus 150. Came out guns a blazing right off jump, but unfortunately the Krilov pace and wrestling start to catch up for to him. Uh, and Krilov really showing that wrinkle to his game where he's trying to just ground guys and smother them. It worked out pretty well for him against Uzdemir. Uzdemir's 86% takedown defense rate not holding up that night. First time he's been taken down over two times uh, since he had fought Daniel Cormier. So a uh, big win for Krilov. Unfortunately, we rip up our Volkin Uzdemir ticket. Another underdog shot that we had was one unit on TJ Dillashaw, plus 150. And it became very apparent right off the jump that uh, TJ was starting to grimace as soon as that fight got taken to the ground. And then you could tell that he was dealing with an injury. Shortly thereafter, you could see that his shoulder was out of place. And apparently this was an injury he was dealing with far earlier into his training camp we're talking about all the way back in april apparently his shoulder kept popping out over 15 to 20 times over the last six months yet the man still decided to go out there and fight a lot of people are going to go out there and applaud him for uh you know fighting through the injury and still trying to make it to the date but me as a better i am very much pissed off that an injury that occurred that early in his training camp he still decides to go out there and fight uh for the fans who actually want to see a competitive matchup they were robbed of something and not to mention he mentioned it in his post-fight press conference or post-fight interview that uh you know he feels sorry for the other bantamweights that he held up this this division for he should have just stayed out you know i mean he should have uh, hopped out and and just waited for his shoulder to completely heal before coming back into action uh unfortunately we're wrapped up we're left ripping ripping up a one unit ticket but still very unfortunate that he decided to go about it that way now in terms of the wins carol hosa wins a decision victory against lena landsberg i had her parlayed with something in the main event but i was very happy that she was able to cash the ticket even though she ended up losing a, a point in that second round very close first round given that lena landsberg landed a knockdown but carol hosa managed to win the next two rounds pretty convincingly that she was able to get her hand raised in that spot so good win for her there and then charles Oliveira versus islam mahachev i had the fight doesn't go to decision parlayed with carol hosa three units at minus 150 cashes for minus 200 or sorry for uh two units there the Charles Oliveira violence train continues on. Uh, you know, I believe this is now 27 out of his 31 UFC fights that have finished under two and a half rounds. So good win for him there. Uh, or sorry, a good good win for anybody taking the violence there, including the fight doesn't go to decision, which is what I did. And then I had two and a half units, which should have been a five-unit lock that I play. I'm not sure what scared me off. Maybe it was the confidence of other people, but I knew that this was a home run shot for Israel. Islam Mahachev to go out there and take advantage of the momentum that Charles Oliveira was on by getting him at minus 165. I thought that was a steal and a half. So plus 1.52 units there. But all in all, ends up being a losing event. Not my greatest showing, especially over the last three months. Minus 2.54 units on that night. You know, I'm a little bit upset that we did not end up catching on my birthday, but it is what it is. Happy to end the night or the day, I guess, with that Islam Mahachev cash. So like I said, 10 out of our last 12 now we've cashed uh, with the exception of uh, this past weekend. But I'm hoping to get back into the groove of things as I've already placed seven bets for this upcoming weekend. Ton of bets to get through, ton of fights to talk about. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the first fight of the night. Christian Rodriguez versus Joshua Weems. 
I'm very excited about this matchup. We got minus 365 on Rodriguez, plus 300 the return on the short notice, Joshua Weems. Now, I was very excited about this initial matchup between Rodriguez and Armfield as I was very uh, impressed by both guys from their regional tape and what I saw from them coming into the UFC. But unfortunately for them, they were met against tough tests in their first fight considering they were going up a division uh, on short notice, both of them. Armfield against uh, David Onama and then Christian Rodriguez against Jonathan Pierce. But I think that Jonathan Pierce is the one with the higher ceiling and possibly even top five potential should he uh, really make that progress and continue to uh, improve his skills on a fight-to-fight basis. Now, Rodriguez got the majority of his MMA experience when he was up in Milwaukee training at Rufus Sport. But for some reason, that camp has disbanded um, as most of those uh, big names, uh, the Gerald Mearsharts, the formerly Paul Felder, the Jared Goodens, or the Jared Gordon, Jared Gooden, Jared Gordon. I want to say Jared Gordon, uh, Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis, uh, Rafael Stotts, and even now Christian Rodriguez. All those guys find themselves at new gyms. And uh, uh, Rodriguez, I'm very impressed that he decided to go down to Arizona and match up with the guys over there at Fight Ready. Uh, guys that were actually cornering him against him in two of his last three MMA fights. On the contender series, he had a dominant victory over Reyes Cortez, who is actually Tracy Cortez's brother. Uh, But unfortunately, he did not receive a contract that night because he missed weight by two pounds for that matchup. So not a good look for him. But he did manage to get a short notice call up against Jonathan Pierce and put on a pretty valiant effort, especially coming into that fight as a big underdog. Uh, But... You know, Jonathan Pierce just way too big for him. The grappling was just way too much for him. But even uh, Jonathan Pierce struggled to really control much position in that matchup, which showcased the skill set that Rodriguez actually has. Uh, when Rodriguez is at his best, his striking looks impeccable, uses combinations very well, manages his distance very well. And I think that's going to cause a lot of troubles here for Joshua Williams, who I just, you know, I think is going to be one of those guys that goes maybe 0-2, 0-3 in the UFC and then ends up, uh, you know, packing up his bags and going back to the regional scene. Uh, Rodriguez has great takedown defense as well. And that's where Joshua Weems really seems to do his best work outside of the constant leg kicks that he likes to throw. Uh, most of his success comes from when he actually gets taken down. Uh, in his last two fights alone, he was taken down numerous times by his opponents, but he eventually found a submission, one from on bottom, when he was able to get an arm bar. And then uh, against Mo Miller, he was really beating up on Mo Miller. And we know Mo's issue, right? The guy really slows down as fights start to go longer. And that's where uh, Weems was able to lock up a guillotine choke and take that on home with him. So good regional wins for Joshua Weems. I just don't think he has what it takes to cut it in the UFC at this level and to go up against Christian Rodriguez in your first fight, a full camp Christian Rodriguez with fight ready MMA. I think uh, you can pretty much have a free square here on Christian Rodriguez. So I'm going to be looking forward to seeing what the inside the distance odds are. Uh, It's still early. You know, this fight was just announced, I believe, yesterday. So once we actually get the inside the distance odds, if we can get any plus money, I would likely take a shot as I think that Rodriguez will likely knock out Joshua Weems in this matchup. All right, let's get to the next matchup here. It's a 125-pound bout and another short-notice replacement. Uh, long time coming for him here. Carlos Mota comes in as a minus-170 favorite on short notice. 
albeit going up against veteran now Cody Durden who's coming in at plus 145 now Cody Durden is a very durable opponent right guy uh, his striking is really improving he does his best work when he's able to grapple guys and get them to the ground and control them from on top uh, he's very active in terms of the uh, submissions and uh, TKO victories that he's looking for uh, from that top position but I think he's going to have his work cut out for him here against a guy like Carlos Mota who I think he's almost better everywhere in this matchup, right? Carlos Moto was a highly touted prospect, especially after his first win in the LFA back in 2019, I believe it was. Um, but he did manage to come up short against uh, now UFC fighter Charles Johnson in a back and forth five round war that they had a couple months back. And Charles Johnson obviously earned his contract in the UFC's uh, stepping into fight Mokhaev in his first fight, put up a valiant effort in that matchup as well. But it was Johnson who got his hand raised against Carlos Mota in that championship fight in the fifth round by finishing Mota. He was just a sli- slightly slicker striker and better cardio uh, machine at that night compared to what Carlos Mota was able to put together now Mota in this matchup he seems to me to be one of those guys that will be ready no matter when the call comes whether it's short notice whether it's a full camp this guy is always ready to go and I think that's why he was so happy to take this short notice spot against Cody Durden to finally step foot inside the UFC octagon which is where I think he truly belongs He's the better striker here, and his BJJ black belt should allow him to stay out of any trouble should Cody Durden look to get this fight to the ground. Now, uh, again, cardio concerns usually come into question when guys take short notice fights, but like I said, I think that Mota is a guy that's pretty much ready all season and has been waiting for an opportunity like this to stop it, step in for the UFC. Uh, he opened up as a plus 125 dog, if I'm not mistaken, and got quickly bet up to that minus 170 range, which is where he's still hanging. I think that's the perfect uh, spot for us to jump in as betters, as I think he is the much better fighter overall here. I think we see him control this, feed in, uh, this fight in the striking realm, and although he may get, might get taken down every now and then, I think he'll do a good job in terms of working back to his feet, get back to his striking, and then eventually find that knockout blow over Cody Durden. So I do like Nicholas Mota here to find that knockout still early in terms of what those odds are going to look like as again this fight was only announced a couple days ago but i'm expecting it to be a little bit of plus money and if so i'll be taking a shot on that as well all right let's move on to the next fight here we got chase hooper going up against steve garcia in terms of odds we got minus 275 on chase super who's been taking steady action over the last couple days plus 230 the return on steve garcia now i'm always a little bit skeptical when we get heavy chalk odds on a kid like chase hooper this kid was born in 1999, he's 23 years old, and yes, he is a jiu-jitsu ace once fights hit the mat, but it's more so getting the fights to those positions and you still doing enough on the feet so he doesn't get knocked out. That's kind of what kept him from getting his hand raised in multiple fights in the past, but we saw some great will, determination, and courage from him in his last matchup against Felipe Clarish, where he was able to TKO him at the ending of that third round to pick up that uh, TKO victory. So good win for him there. He's showcasing that he's getting better and better on a fight-to-fight basis, and I personally think that this is a, a softball from the UFC to give Hooper another win and for him to get some valuable cage time and pull off, uh, you know, get another win and continue to progress throughout his career. Steve Garcia, big power puncher. He has a ton of experience from, you know, Bellator and the UFC. Uh, one of the few guys still remaining in the Jackson Wink uh, training camp. But I still just don't see what he can bring to the table that will cause 
Hooper some issues outside of maybe having big power in his hands. But it wasn't that long ago that Luis Pena was able to get some good control time against Steve Garcia. I think he controlled that fight for about 14 minutes out of the 15 minutes because he was able to just get the back of Garcia. And although Luis Pena didn't record an official takedown in that matchup, he just kept getting the back and kept riding it. Wasn't able to get the finish, but he was able to control it and obviously get the W uh, pretty easily that night. I think Chase Hooper could pull off the same thing. Get this fight into the clinch position, push him up against the cage, wait till he gives up his back, and then trip this guy to the ground, or even just jump on his back and start working that submission game of his. Unlike Luis Pena, though, I think that Chase Hooper is live to get a submission in this spot. His submission prop currently sits at plus 250, and it's still not available on a lot of books, so I'm expecting it to take some action as it starts opening up on more sports books. but I do think that's his best path to victory in this matchup, and I think we'll actually see him lock it up as well Garcia again he's gonna need to keep this in the stand-up realm and although his traditional takedown defense looks pretty good it's just when Chase Hooper can corral those takedown attempts into back takes and then from there start to control uh Steve Garcia I still get a little queasy thinking about taking Chase Hooper at this type of chalk but this still seems like a spot he should go out there control the majority of the fight until he can eventually lock up that submission choke like I said Hooper by decision plus, or sorry, Hooper by submission plus 250. Anything better than plus 200 is probably the best way to go for that matchup. Next up, let's talk about Jun Young Park coming in as a minus 245 favorite. He's going up against Joseph Holmes, who's coming in as a plus 200 underdog. And I feel pretty damn good about the Korean in this spot. Now, Jung Young Park, very solid uh, veteran. The guy has a ton of experience from all over the world, has had some high-level matchups, high-level matchups inside the UFC as well. But it's his, really his pace and his pressure and his grappling, which usually causes opponents to fold, and uh, even his activity. Usually he has very good cardio, but if you were to watch that Gregory Rodriguez fight, you'd be like, what are you talking about, Manpreet? He's gassing out and that's why he got knocked out against Gregory Rodriguez oh did you guys miss the kitchen sink and everything else that he was throwing at Gregory Rodriguez who he had on wobbly legs and almost out of there that's why he ended up gassing that night and I'd be surprised if Joseph Holmes would be able to survive a similar onslaught should that scenario play out once again I do think that Park will look to actively get this fight to the matchup or to the crown. And from there, I think he's going to grind on Joseph Holmes, eventually opening up that finishing opportunity for Park. And I think he'll be able to get that uh, probably in the second, maybe even third round. Joseph Holmes, decent prospect. But I think a lot of his success has mainly come from his physical attributes. The guy's a big, strong dude. And he's been able to use that against a lot of his past opponents. But now that he's taking steps up in competition and taking steps up in, against guys that are you know skill wise much better than him i think we're going to see him struggle so yes he came up short against a guy like jamie pickett who was able to match that athleticism and obviously you know outwork him in that matchup but then we saw him bounce back against everybody's darling alan amadovsky but i don't think that was a i'm back or i deserve to belong here type of statement from joseph holmes He's going to struggle against guys like Junior Park. And unless he can starch him early in this matchup, I think Park puts the pace and pressure on him and eventually finishes him, like I said, later on. Maybe that over one and a half mark of this matchup. The fight doesn't go to the decision. Currently sits at plus 120. I think that's a good spot. You know, if you're not fully sold on the chalk on Junior Park, I think fight doesn't go to the decision is a good way to go about it, especially considering that if Holmes does win this fight or Joseph Holmes does win this fight, 
It'll likely come by knockout, in my opinion, opinion, which currently sits at plus 650. Um, but still, I feel very damn good about Jun Young Park here. I think we're getting a very good price tag on him as well. And I think he cruises in this matchup until he eventually gets that finish later on, probably second or third round. All right, let's get to this next matchup. We got heavyweights going at it. We got Marcos Hajirio de Lima coming in as a minus 240 favorite. He's going up against Andrei Arlovsky, who's coming in at plus 200. And you know my eyes always get a little bit brighter. They always get a little bit wider. And my ears perk up a little bit more when we get Andrei Arlovsky at these you know, heavy dog odds, especially against the middle of the tier uh, or middle tier of the heavyweight division. And that's exactly what I think of Marcos Rodrigo de Lima. This is a guy who has not been able to get longer than a two fight winning streak since being in the UFC for over eight years now. Anytime he gets two fights under his belt, he always runs into that guy that name value wise is much better than him. And obviously skill wise is much better than him right he had a two fight uh winning streak going into his last matchup against Blagoy Ivanov and although Delima had a very good first round I thought he started to slow down in those second and third rounds he was not able to throw that those big power uh combinations which won him the first round uh he was not able to throw those in the second and third rounds because he was starting to slow down and I thought the pressure and that just gritty game of Blagoy Ivanov caught up to Delima that night and I think a similar thing could be done here with Andrei Olovsky now, way back in the day, Arlovsky's uh, chin and durability was a complete write-off. Everybody was just like, oh, hang it up, right? We're talking about 2011. We're talking about 11 and a half years ago where people are telling Andrei Arlovsky to, to hang it up. Then he goes on a 10-1, 11-fight streak, right? He goes on a 10-1 streak, which uh, obviously uh, includes him getting back into the UFC, and then he runs into Stipe Miocic. Now, had he won that fight, well, when Stipe won that fight, he... Deserve, or earned a title shot he ended up fighting Fabrizio Verdum the next time out and ended up getting the title and becoming the champion right if Arlovsky beat Stipe that night we could have been talking about Andre Arlovsky getting a title shot in what was it 2015 or 2016 absolutely crazy that he was able to muster that up uh, especially that streak and get that far doing so but since uh, uh, since that point, Arlovsky has really been up and down. Uh, but over his last seven fights, he's actually six and one. Very close fight last time around against Jake Collier. Likely should have gone Jake Collier's way, but it showcased that Arlovsky's durability and his veteran savvy can still pay off. And against a guy like Delima, who I think is, you know, in this matchup, first round or bust, plus 200 on Arlovsky is a completely no-brainer uh, bet. You know, he likely he should be able to get uh, off on better shots in the second and third round. And as long as he can survive that first onslaught, uh, I think he'll be fine to go out there and just win an Arlovsky type decision. So taking him at plus 200, I think is a phenomenal opportunity for us underdog betters that even if we don't end up winning this bet, this is one of those spots where we should be able to hit it enough to still end up profiting on a long term basis. So, yes, I, I don't know if Delima's big power shots are going to come through for him early in this matchup. Because if they don't, I think Arlovsky will start to cruise the later that this fight goes. So, give me Arlovsky. Arlovsky by decision, which actually currently sits at plus 275. But given that we're getting plus 200 on the money line, I think that's the better way of going about it. So, let's go the veteran old dog, the pit bull, Andre Arlovsky, to pull off the upset here. Next up... We got Roman Delize coming in as a plus 145 underdog. He's going up against Phil Hawes, who's coming in at minus 170. This is one of those fights that kind of has me scratching my head, uh, even after running the tape, right? Phil Hawes is a guy that 
uh, really started changing his game. Similar to Nikita Krilov from a couple weeks or from last week, uh, a guy that initially really relished on getting his opponents out of there early. He would put big power on them, and usually they would uh, falter under that. And he was able to he was able to get his hand raised, but if he wasn't able to get them out of there, his opponents were able to rally back and finish him later on in his fights. But now we've seen a couple performances where he can just lay, uh, you know, a, a solid game plan, use his pace and cardio well, and uh, portion out his gas tank a lot better, which allows him to be more effective the later that fights go. And that's what I'm expecting here against Roman Delize. Delize, you know, he's a macho man in a sense, right? He wants to go out there and just lay an ass whooping on his opponents. But we also see him take a grapple-heavy approaches over his last couple of fights. Obviously, he starched Kyle Dawkins in his last matchup. But outside of that, he's looking to get guys to the ground, looking to grind them out, just as he did against... Um, uh, Trevin Giles, like similar fights to that where he's just looking to get fights to the ground and grind these guys out. But I think he's going to struggle to get Phil Hawes down, right? Phil Hawes is obviously the better wrestler on paper here. And then on the feet, I think Phil Hawes' power should be able to neutralize anything that Delize does. But I think that we'll see Phil look to get this fight to the ground, grind on Delize, and look to win this fight over the 15 minutes. Hawes to win by decision is currently sitting at plus 210. I don't mind that compared to the minus 170 that we're getting on his money line, but I still have some question marks, and I want to see more from Phil to continue to, pro to prove that he can go the full 15 minutes should he require that. And I think that's what he's going to need to do here against a very durable Roman Delize, who's going to be bringing the fight to him. So the only way to stop that forward pressure uh, that Delize will likely be looking to implement here is to grapple him, push him up against the cage, drag this fight to the ground, and grind him out in that aspect. So uh, the pick is Phil Hawes. I'm going to be sitting back and just watching this one as a spectator, uh, but I think that Phil Hawes is the side, and I think he should be the one that ends up getting his hand raised in this spot. All right, next up. Let's talk about a light heavyweight matchup between Justin, or sorry, I always, I always want to say Justin, but it's Dustin Jacoby who's coming in as a minus 170 favorite against Khalil Roundtree who's coming in as a plus 145 underdog. Uh, very easy fight to break down here. We got, you know, the discipline striking of Dustin Jacoby who very much relies on footwork kicks and combinations to you know nullify his opponent's big power or anything that they're trying to get off he has decent enough takedown defense but i don't think that's something that he's gonna have to worry about too much here against a muay thai striker like khalil roundtree dustin jacoby does such a good job in terms of maintaining his distance using his footwork to get out of bad spaces and then like i said utilizes his front kick up the middle to kind of keep his opponents from you know keeping them to to from closing the distance but also keeps the leg kicks going from the outside to kind of uh, you know start to immobilize his opponents try try to get the power off um from their from the the bottom up right most of the power from a lot of fighters come from that base they're able to sit down on the punches and throw big shots similar to what uh khalil roundtree is going to be looking to do in this matchup but i like that discipline approach from jacoby right sometimes it might get a little bit hairy but he does just enough and more than enough at times to go out there and get the discipline victories and that's exactly what i think he's going to do here khalil his confidence is at an all-time high right now probably the highest it's ever been since being in the ufc but i think that this puzzle which is dustin jacoby is going to be a little bit too much for him to solve this weekend so 
I like the favorite here. I think it's a perfectly priced fight. I don't mind a small shot here on uh, Jacoby to even just win one unit. But I think that this is one of those spots where we have to look past the finishing power of Khalil Roundtree and just try to back the better, more reliable uh, fighter in Dustin Jacoby, who has way more paths to victory than Khalil Roundtree, in my opinion. So let's go Jacoby and Jacoby via decision. Next up... Let's talk about this very interesting middleweight matchup between Josh Fremd, who's coming in as a minus 155 favorite, and Trishan Gore, who's coming in at plus 135. Now, this is a must-win situation for Trishan Gore. We're talking talking about a fighter that is three and two, but coming off the uh, the Ultimate Fighter, a lot of people had high hopes for this kid. Very fast striker, big power in his hands, good takedown defense as well. But he was just uh, struggling to get the experience against high-level opponents, which is what I think was his ultimate downfall, not to mention his overconfidence at times, right? I remember betting Brian Battle as an underdog going into that fight against Gore, and all I could hear from Gore during that fight week was, I can't wait to be double champ within the next couple of years. I'm like, dog, you haven't even stepped foot inside the octagon in an official UFC matchup yet. Yes, you beat up on some guys on the on the uh, on uh, in exhibition matchups on the Ultimate Fighter, but these guys don't really hold candles against some of the guys that you're going to be facing in the UFC. And Brian Battle did a very good job in terms of stopping the success of Trishan Gore that night, using using volume and takedowns to control the majority of that fight. But Gore still managed to inflict quite a bit of damage on Battle. It just wasn't enough for him to get his hand raised there. Then going into that fight against Cody Brundage, I felt pretty good about Trishan Gore. So I took a shot on him around that minus 150 range, minus 140 range, thinking that he could stop the takedowns of Cody Brundage, which he did. And then I thought from there, he'd be able to control the striking and eventually find that knockout against Cody. That's what I'm kind of expecting here against Josh Fremd. Now, what we didn't realize is that Gore might have been a little bit too confident in the striking and just did not see that. uh, I believe it was a left hook that ended up dropping him. It could have been a right hook as well. But it was a shot that Gore did not see coming. Cody drops him puts him down and uh, obviously ends that fight by with some ground and pound from that full mount position. Now, I just have a little bit of reservations for this matchup, strictly due to the fact that Trishan Gore was flatlined about three and a half months ago. That's a bit of a red flag to me, right? Like, it's not like he just got TKO'd. He got flatlined. And that's a, uh, you know, a big question mark for me. But I think that I might be kicking myself should I not take the shot on him here, especially at underdog odds, right? I think the recency bias of him getting finished by Brundage mixed in with the fact that, uh, you know, Josh Fremd uh, seems to be uh, the more complete fighter here, utilizes uh, grappling pretty well and has a decent enough striking game. But I think that Jashan Gore's takedown defense included with, uh, you know, his speed advantage, his power advantage should be enough to eventually find that chin of Josh Fremd and put him out cold in this matchup as well. Also, Trishan Gore moving pretty much across the country and training with Fortis MMA and Safe Sayud. I think that's going to give us a very good version of Trishan Gore going into this fight. Uh, you guys know I'm a, I'm a big Fortis MMA believer, and I think that this is the perfect matchup for Trishan Gore to showcase what Fortis can do for a fighter. It may not make them a championship caliber fighter, but it makes them much better than they were before. And I'm expecting the same thing here when Trishan Gore steps inside the cage. So there's a couple ways we can take uh, or approach this fight. We can either take the fight doesn't go to decision or the under two and a half, which is around minus 130, depending on your bookie. 
uh, and bet Trishon Gore because I think that if Gore wins, it's likely coming via knockout. And then even on the flip side, if Josh Remd is the one that ends up landing the big power here and Gore is the one that's still compromised from all the... Um, you know, from from the KO loss that he took a couple months ago, at least we still end up catching the under two and a half, and we pretty much cancel out what happens in this fight. Um, you know, just hoping for violence. But I do think that it's going to be Gore that gets his hand raised. And the line that kind of popped out to me as I was looking at props earlier today on DraftKings, you can get Trishon Gore by knockout at plus three thirty, which is I which I think is a crazy number considering that Josh Freeman has been knocked out in the past couple times and i think that gore is the perfect matchup for uh uh sorry fremd is the perfect matchup for gore for gore to record another knockout victory so plus 330 get some of that while you can all right let's get to this next matchup here between heavyweights and personally i think that these this heavyweight matchup should be swapped with the other heavyweight matchup in terms of the bout order but we got waldo cortez acosta fresh off his contender series contract winning performance Coming in as a minus 195 favorite, he's going up against Jared Vandera, who is in a must-win situation, coming in as a plus 165 underdog. Now, Jared Vandera is on a four-fight losing streak at this point, and it's not a good look, and I'm surprised the UFC is giving him another shot here, but I just don't think that this is a matchup that he uh, will likely get his hand raised. Now, when we see Jared Vandera at his best, it looks like that Justin Toffa fight. But that Justin Taffa fight, like I said, was five fights ago now. So it's been so long since we've seen him actually go out there and showcase a, a style that uh, he can thrive in. And what that style is, is movement and volume, right? Giving how... Uh, towering of an ogre this man is you would expect him to go out there and grapple more and try to take guys to the ground and grind them out from on top but he fights the complete opposite he tried to he tries to utilize movement volume and output with his striking and that's usually what ends up getting his hand raised when he can be successful with it unfortunately for him here against waldo cortez acosta i think that's a guy that can keep up with that pace but might be able to keep vandera a little bit more static than vandera would like to be by pushing him up against the cage looking for takedowns and just staying active enough in those positions that the judges will likely score it in his favor the bet that i'm kind of looking at here which i haven't pulled the trigger on yet is the over one and a half which currently sits anywhere between minus 120 and minus 135 i'm thinking that we're going to see a lot of movement a lot of clinching and a lot of grappling from both of these guys which will likely eat away at the clock which should allow us to cast this over uh one and a half round uh ticket I feel like no matter who wins, it will likely go into that third round. And I do lean the Waldo Cortez Acosta side uh, as I've seen him fight, you know, decent competition on the regional scene and go a hard 15 minutes if he needs to, even getting finishes late in fights uh, should it come to that as well. But I think, you know, I do think there is a ceiling on Waldo, but Jared Vander is far below that ceiling. But uh, still a little bit skeptical to pay minus 200 on a Dana White Contender Series heavyweight at this point. Jared Vander, I believe he was a contender series heavyweight as well, uh, picking up that victory over Harry Hunsucker. But I do think that this is one of those spots where uh, Waldo Cortez's just overall complete game will be too much for Vandera, and this will likely be the last time that we see Vandera inside the cage, at least inside the octagon. All right, that brings us, or sorry, uh, full uh, final prediction on this: Cortez Acosta via decision. Uh, that's ending up plus 350, but the over one and a half will likely be getting my action this weekend. 
All right, next up, let's get to this co-main event. We got Max Griffin coming in as a minus 190 favorite. He's going up against Tim Means, who's coming in at plus 160. Now, initially, I was thinking that this would be another good underdog spot to cash on Tim Means. Unfortunately, I just think that Max Griffin has a little bit more left in the tank than what Tim Means does. Tim does a very good job in terms of getting his combinations going. He uses his striking defense pretty well, but he looks like he's starting to slow down, and that's where I think is going to be the difference maker in this matchup. I think that we'll see Griffin a little bit quicker to the punches, and although Means could likely land the better combinations and likely push him back and control the majority of this fight, I think at a certain point, Griffin is going to be able to land that big power, and I think he'll be able to get Tim Means out of there. Um you know, means better overall game, hands down, no no doubt about it. But I just think at this point in time, you know, I know Griffin is only about one year younger than Tim Means, but I think that Griffin has less miles on his body and he has more athletic advantages here, which will likely allow him to get his hand raised. So, you know, Tim Means could have some success early and we might be able to get a good live betting opportunity uh, on uh, Max Griffin, but we have to see how Max Griffin is dealing with those that combination style of Tim Means and if he's you know being deflated by any means no pun intended there but I think that that's something that we have to think about uh in this matchup because we saw him you know really start to get flustered with the combination of striking of Carlos Condit uh in that second round although Max Griffin didn't uh, manage to grind his way out in that third round uh we even saw him get frustrated against Neil Magny even after dropping him early in that first round but I think that uh, at a certain point, that big power is going to catch the chin of Tim Means. And then from there, I think we'll see Max Griffin get the knockout victory. So Griffin via knockout at plus 250 definitely tickles my fancy. I like that spot, but no bet for me at that minus 200 range. All right. We are pretty much getting to the main event here, but I want to take this time to remind you guys to hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already and drop a comment below letting me know what you think about the breakdowns thus far and whether any of your picks or all of your picks line up with mine or if they don't, let me know why and I'd be happy to respond to you guys in the comment section. All right, main event time. Let's get to it here. We got a high stakes featherweight matchup between Arnold Allen, who is now the minus 125 favorite, plus 105 is the return on Calvin Cater. Interesting that Calvin Cater was the minus 125 favorite a couple of days ago, but as fight week has kicked off, a lot of people going in on the Arnold Allen side which I kind of understand, but I think that Calvin Cater is likely the better fighter overall here. Now, I've been, I've had my moments of cashing in on Arnold Allen in the past. Uh, Allen has done a good job in terms of, you know, finding opportune moments to explode, uh, giving his him his best chance to win those fights, uh, most notably the Sadiq Yusuf uh, matchup. I bet on him there as a slight underdog, if I remember correctly. Um, and I think that we'll see... Uh, that style of Arnold Allen really come to, um, sorry, really be the the downfall of him in this matchup. And what I mean by that, he just waits around a little bit too much, right? We saw him go balls to the wall against Dan Hooker in his last matchup because he knew that he was going up against a, a very compromised Dan Hooker. The whole narrative going into that fight week was that Dan Hooker looked like a goddamn skeleton trying to drop back down to 145 pounds. Allen knew he would be compromised. Allen put the heat on him right away and he was able to get him out of there. But that's not the way Arnold Allen fights. It's usually low volume, 
right? Unless he completely outmatches his opponent like he did against Gilbert Melendez uh, a couple fights back. But like outside of that, the Sadiq Yusuf fight, even though he dropped him a couple times, landed a takedown, he just wasn't pulling the trigger enough. But luckily for him, he had the big moments which ultimately got his hand raised that night. But he's going up against the volume machine here in Calvin Cater, who will likely be putting those combinations together and really touching up Calvin, uh, Arnold Allen from distance. Now, unless Allen tries to take a page out of Josh Emmett's book, which was, you know, let's, let's just stay competitive, land big shots throughout the round. But then the last 15 to 20 seconds, we're going to go AWOL. We're going to pressure Calvin Kidder. We're going to throw big shots. We're not going to worry about the counters that are coming back our way. And that likely might sway the judges because that's what I think that Josh Emmett did in that very close matchup he had against uh, Calvin Kidder back in June. I think it was June, maybe July, regardless. I hope that Calvin Kidder learned from that fight. Even though a lot of people were clamoring that he won that fight, I think that it was still close enough that we have to take something from that, especially those last little bursts from Josh Emmett in those last dying seconds of each round. If he can nullify any type of approach from Allen similar to that, I think he handily wins this matchup. So, yes, I do think that Cater deserves to be the favorite in this spot. You know, I think his volume and his and his combination striking style is going to be a little bit too much for Arnold Allen to keep up with. And not to mention the, you know, numerous fights now that Calvin Cater has gone the full 25 minutes. Um, I think that experience is going to come into play here against the young and relatively inactive uh, Arnold Allen. And I think that's going to be the reason we'll see Cater uh, get his hand raised in this spot. So give me Calvin Cater, Cater by decision. But the fact that we can get him around plus 100, plus 105, his money line is fine here. And I think that we'll see the slight underdog get his hand raised in this matchup. So there you guys have it. Full card breakdown of UFC Vegas 63. I'll be dropping my lock of the night video for you guys in the next day or two here. So stay tuned for that so you guys can find out who exactly I'll be going uh, pretty big on on my lock of the night play this weekend. Just to give you guys an idea, I've been on a pretty good run here with my lock of the night plays. 9-0 and in my last 9 uh, lock of the night plays for a plus 22.25 units. That's a 50% ROI with average odds of minus 200. It's roughly around that mark as well for this weekend. Can't wait to share that with you guys. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Also Thursday, propping you up with Cody as always over there on the All-Star. 5 p.m. Eastern is the time that we usually start to, or the, the time that we aim for. So make sure you guys tune in for that. And then Friday, Ultimate Wayne Show. I got my guests lined up, but I'm going to wait until Thursday to announce it as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Until then, good luck with all your bets, folks. And I'll see you guys for the next piece of content that you guys ingest. Because you guys know I drop it almost every single day. Love you guys. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. And good luck on your bets this week.